All of our guests at uh, City Church are always very special to us, but I have to say that we have some very extra special guests with us this morning. Many of the people for whom this building represented their church home, who stewarded this building, who kept it, who maintained it so well for over six decades and graciously sold it to us in June of last year, are here worshiping with us this morning, people from St. John's United Church of Christ, along with their pastor, Reverend John Branham. And if you're from St. John's Church of Christ, United Church of Christ, would you please do me a favor and stand so that we can honor you this morning. On behalf of all of us here at City Church, I'd like to thank you for just allowing us to make this our church home. And I know it's probably tough to walk into a place that was your home for, uh, for so long and see all the changes that uh, we have made, but we want you to know from the bottom of our hearts that we recognize that your sacrifices made it possible for us to be here. And so again, on behalf of everyone here at City Church, I just want to thank you so much for being here with us this morning, and you're always welcome to come and worship with us here. Let's say a word of prayer together. Yeah, please, please, tell them that. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus Christ, as Jake said a moment ago, we are reminded that we are here on the shoulders of many, many faithful people for a long time. Lord, we thank you for those people. We thank you for the testimony of those people. We thank you for their goodness. We thank you for their generosity to us as a church. And we are so privileged to follow in their tradition. Lord, I pray this morning that as we look into your scriptures, that you would speak to us individually today, every one of us. Would you search our hearts very deeply? Would you give us ears to hear? And our Lord Jesus Christ, we bow before you this morning. In your name, amen. So just to catch all of our visitors up, uh, for the last five weeks, we've been in a series of sermons on marriage, and we're concluding it this morning. The series has been called Best Advice Ever. It's coming from the Proverbs. Now, I just have to say that it's really odd that I'm up here speaking about this. I've been married for about 24 years, but we have a couple here with us this morning that last Sunday on Valentine's Day celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary. Mr. and Mrs. Hannibut, would you please stand wherever you are this morning? It's amazing. I feel like they ought to be here this morning uh, speaking. But unfortunately, you've got me. So in truth, all of the verses that we've been looking at in this series apply to all kinds of relationships. They apply to friendships. They apply to work relationships. They apply to uh, dating relationships. Maybe you're engaged. These verses apply to all of those kinds of relationships. But we've been applying them specifically to the subject of marriage. So far, we've talked about the importance of friendship in marriage. We've also talked about humility in marriage. We, we talked last week about how, uh, or two weeks ago, I should say, about how a wounded spirit affects a marriage. 
Last week, we talked about how careless words can affect a marriage. Today, we're going to wrap up the series by talking about how to repair your marriage when one or both parties say something or do something uh, or don't do something that is terribly hurtful to the other person in the marriage. And before we get started, uh, I just I do want to uh, direct your attention to something. There's a little card that you were given in your program that says uh, marriage panel discussion Q&A. Would you pull that out of your program right now? Just take a moment, pull that out. Next Sunday evening at 6 o'clock, three couples in the church, uh, including my wife and, and, uh, and myself, are going to be in a panel discussion to answer questions that you have about marriage, like any question that you have about marriage. If you have a question, an issue, something that you'd like to know, something, you know, maybe an issue that you're going through that you'd like some advice on, write it down on this card. Don't put your name on it. And just drop it in the bucket. And next Sunday night, not this Sunday night, but next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, we'll have a panel discussion. Anybody would like to come, come, please. And uh, we'll be glad to address as many of those questions as we possibly can. Later on, when the offering bucket comes around, just drop those in there. Let's start as we have started throughout this series with this statement. Repeat this uh, with me. We're going to put it on the screen. No marriage at City Church is perfect, including mine. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is, uh, just like we've done throughout the series, I'm going to read all of the Proverbs that we're going to look at today, and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to comment on them uh, individually in just a moment. Let's start with Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs 10.12. Hatred stirs up conflict, but love covers over all wrongs. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, but the righteous stand forever. That's Proverbs 10.25. Whoever derides their neighbor has no sense, but the one who has understanding holds their tongue. Proverbs 11.12. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 12.18. Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. And then finally, Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? Okay, I want to look at these Proverbs now under two headings today. And I just let me tell you from the outset, we're going to spend most of our time this morning with the first one. And the first heading is just very practical, and it's this, how to repair your marriage. Now, let me ask you, is there anyone here who's been married longer than an hour who doesn't understand that marriages need constant repair. Raise your hand if you don't know that. Raise your hand. Okay, everybody knows that. It's inevitable. Things go wrong in marriage. In fact, uh, I think from my second year in marriage all the way to my 12th year of marriage, just like, I think it was about a decade there, I woke up every morning. First thing I did was I just said, I'm sorry, because I knew I was going to say something to hurt my wife, and I just wanted to get ahead of it, you know, before the day went on. We're all of us. We're very imperfect people. Every single one of us. And we come into our marriages with all kinds of, of baggage and issues and things that are going to hurt the people that we love the most. We all know that. I read a story the other day about a young, uh, young professional woman. She'd been asked to speak at a seminar in a nearby city uh, about a topic that you know, she had expertise in. And her husband uh, wanted to go with her to be supportive, and so they drove to the seminar together. But the trip was interrupted by a lingering wisdom tooth problem that had become impacted and was so painful, it was just intolerable. 
And so she stopped at a dentist's office along the way, and she told the dentist, she said, I want a tooth pulled, and I don't want to waste any time with Novocaine because I'm in a big hurry. Just pull the tooth as quickly as possible, and we'll be on our way. And the dentist, like, you know, as you can imagine, the dentist was shocked by her request, and he asked, well, which tooth is it? She turned to her husband and said, show him your tooth, honey. (laughs) We can be terribly insensitive to one another and, and hurtful to one another, can't we? Well, because relationships are constantly in need of repair, these Proverbs give us four things that you have to do to repair any relationship in your life, including marriage, okay? Let's start with this one. You must, number one, you must commit to overcome evil with good. You must commit to overcome evil with good. Now, I want you to look at the last part of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12. Last part of that proverb. Love covers over all wrong. And I think at first, when you read that, um, it doesn't sound quite right, does it? Part of the reason it doesn't sound quite right is because it sounds very close to love covers up all wrongs. Like, you know, you, like you just hide them. You just sweep them under the rug. But it doesn't say covers up all wrongs, does it? Because that would be profoundly unhealthy. It says love covers over all wrongs, and that means something different entirely. The word that's translated covers over also means to forgive, and that makes a lot more sense, doesn't it? Love forgives all wrongs. If I had to summarize for you God's purpose in human history in just a few words, I would do so by just saying that his purpose in history is to overcome evil with good. To overcome evil with good. In fact, the Apostle Paul even says as much in the New Testament. He says in Romans chapter 12, he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. One of my favorite authors, the late philosopher and Christian man by the name of Dallas Willard, He calls this the divine conspiracy, that God's plan to overcome evil in the world with good is what he has been at work doing since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. Now, let me be very clear on this. I want you to understand this. When the Apostle Paul says that in Romans chapter 12, he's not writing to the general population of people in the world. He's writing to a very specific group of people. He's writing to people who have believed in Jesus Christ the Lord. In other words, those of you who are here today who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, your calling, your witness, your task while you're alive and on this earth is to overcome evil with good. Now, here's where most people mentally go when they hear that. They're like, okay, got it. Let's get to work. Let's build hospitals and let's build rescue missions and let's work for social justice and let's provide better education for the poor, all of which is absolutely part of overcoming evil in the world with good. But all of that, if you think about it, all of that is, it's like it's out there. Overcoming evil with good doesn't start out there. When Paul writes about overcoming evil with good in Romans 12, the context is how to treat your personal enemy. 
If he's hungry, he says, feed him. If she's thirsty, he says, give her a drink. In other words, overcoming evil with good starts much more personally than out there. It starts with your relationships, even your relationships with your enemies. And what does he say to do with them? Yes, he says, feed them, uh, give them something to drink. But what does that presuppose? It presupposes that you have forgiven them, your enemies. Now, here's the thing. If this applies to our enemies, how much more does it apply to our marriages, to our husbands, to our wives? You know, I debated whether to start with this point of overcoming evil with good or to end with this point. And obviously, I, you know, I landed on starting with this. Why? Well, I want you to listen to Dallas Willard again. I want you to listen to what he says. Actually, I think we're going to put it up on the screen. He writes, One of the most fundamental and dogmatic illusions of modern secular society is found in the idea that we can train people to be ethical without grounding those ideals in reality. Now, here's what he's saying. He's actually getting at one of the Proverbs we read earlier, Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. See, I, I want you to understand. If you don't have a metaphysical framework built upon the truth of Scripture, if your philosophy of life doesn't include the reality of God, uh, of the God in the Bible, then you don't understand reality. And frankly, it's pretty hard to build a case for forgiveness, for overcoming evil with good, if you don't believe in things like evil and good to begin with. Why forgive? Better still, what would you forgive? Because if there's no transcendent moral order we all, that we all have to bow to, on what basis could you say that someone has wronged you in the first place in some way that would need forgiven, right? I mean, how would you do that? If your husband has an emotional affair with a woman at work, if your wife routinely neglects you to go out with her friends, you can wring your hands all that you want uh, about those things. But who are you to say that those things are wrong? But for those of you who are grounded in reality by your belief in Jesus Christ, I want you to understand this. When you forgive your spouse, when you cover over his wrongs against you or her wrongs against you, you are living consistent with reality. Here's another way to say it. To the extent that you are overcoming evil with good in your marriage, which starts with forgiveness, to the extent that you're doing that, you are working in cooperation with God. You're part of the flow of human history. And to the extent that you're not doing that, you're working against God and the flow of human history. You're working against reality. This is why marriages in which forgiveness is neither asked for nor extended eventually fall apart because they're working against reality and eventually they crashed into the rocks of reality. Overcoming evil with good. That's God's plan and purpose for you in your marriage. Understand that. Okay, that's number one. 
Besides committing to overcome, uh, overcoming evil with good, if you want to repair your marriage, if something has happened that your marriage needs repaired, you have to surrender your instinct for vengeance. Surrender your instinct for vengeance. Look back at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22. It says, do not say that I will pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will deliver you. It is fascinating, isn't it? How well the Bible understands us. Because when someone wrongs us, when someone wrongs me, at least, and I think this is true of all of you too, our first instinct is to get revenge, right? Like wives, if you have told your husband once, you have told him a thousand times not to just leave his dirty clothes on the floor. Either hang them up or throw them in the dirty clothes basket. And every day, for as many years as you've been married, he has left his dirty clothes on the floor. It makes you so angry, doesn't it, to be ignored like that. You feel disrespected, you feel unappreciated, and your instinct is to get even. And you're like, I'll show him. I'll just leave all of his clothes on the floor until he has to pick them up. I won't move them, I won't wash them, I won't touch them. And that feels so good, doesn't it? Feels so good. Until you watch that man after he has run out of clothes, just pick something up off the floor and wear it again. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, it goes back down on the floor. That's how it works, doesn't it? And husbands, how many times has your wife made you late for something because it takes her so long to get ready? And when you first got married, you thought it was cute because she's so cute. But five years into the marriage, it is so not cute anymore. You even started telling her, you have to arrive earlier than you really do, and you're still late. And it makes you so angry, doesn't it? And you want to get even, don't you? And you just want to lay into her in the car on the way to wherever you're going, right? That's, that's the way it feels. Vengeance. We all instinctively want vengeance. And that's the foundational principle of the world. In other words, that's how the world works as it comes to relationships. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But think about this for a moment. If both people in a marriage are sinners then both people are going to hurt the other person. And if you operate on the basis of revenge, there is no hope for your marriage. It will inevitably deteriorate because you get trapped, you see, in this downward spiral of continual revenge. He hurt you, you hurt him. You hurt him, he hurt you. And you just keep going into this downward spiral of continual revenge. So Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22 starts by saying, don't follow your instincts. Like, don't follow the relationship principles of the world. Don't say, I'll pay you back for this wrong. In other words, surrender your instinct for revenge or, or vengeance. Actively choose not to do what is instinctive. But then, look at the last part of the verse. It says, it says, wait for the Lord. Now, what exactly does that mean as it relates to the issue of forgiveness? Wait for the Lord. Here's what it means. Instead of getting revenge, you make three promises to yourself. One, that you won't bring your spouse's offense up to them over and over and over again. That's number one. Second, number two, 
you won't continually bring his offense up to your mom, to your girlfriends, or her offenses, up to your golfing buddies. You're not going to do that. And then three, you won't continually bring it up to yourself. And here's what will happen when you make those three commitments. Here's what will happen. Every time that you're tempted to do one of those things, it will hurt not to. Like, it'll, it'll hurt. Do you know why it will hurt? Because instead of getting revenge, instead of making your spouse pay for what he or she did to you, you, you are paying the cost of their offense against you. You're absorbing the hurt instead of hurting them back. And do you know what that's called? That's called forgiveness. That's why forgiveness is so incredibly difficult. You're absorbing the hurt. You're not making them pay for it. You are absorbing it. And here's where waiting on the Lord comes in. You will not feel forgiving at first. Sometimes you, you just have to act out forgiveness. But if you keep doing that, if you keep those three commitments to yourself, even though you don't feel it, in other words, if you wait for the Lord, eventually the Holy Spirit will bring the feelings of forgiveness to you. Eventually, if you wait for the Lord, you will feel the forgiveness that you have been granting to your spouse as an act of obedience. Those feelings will eventually come. That's what it means. So you overcome evil with good and, and you surrender your instinct. It's like it's just there. It's just part of you. Your instinct for vengeance. Here's the third thing that you have to do to repair your marriage. You have to remember, this, is, this one's really hard. You have to remember your common humanity. Would you look at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9? Who can say... I have kept my heart pure. I am clean and without sin. Uh-oh. Like, who could say that? You see, there's something funny that happens when you're wrong. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this. But when you're wronged, you become so self-righteous. How could you say that to me? How could you do that to me? I would never do that to you. And here's what's interesting. Look at Proverbs 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 12. Here it goes. A man who lacks judgment derides his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his tongue. Do you see what this is saying? What does it mean to deride your neighbor? It means to look down on them. In other words, what fuels your anger toward your spouse when they hurt you is your self-righteousness. See, you can stay up here and look down upon them for what they have done to you. And do you realize that God hates your sin of self-righteousness as much as he hates what your spouse did to hurt you? Do you realize that? When I, uh, when I first started out in ministry, I really didn't understand the dynamics of addiction very well. Uh, I would have spouses, often wives, sometimes husbands, who would come into my office, and they would, 
they, they would cry and they would complain to high heaven about their spouse's addiction of some kind. Maybe it was drugs, maybe it was alcohol, maybe it was an eating disorder, whatever. But they would complain and complain and cry and cry about it. Understandably, right? They were hurt, they were angry, but here's, here was what I learned. When I challenged them to do something about it, like to stage an intervention, or maybe to, to tell their spouse that if they weren't going to address their addiction, they couldn't stay in the home, here's what I found. Many of them wouldn't do it. I'd see them again, maybe six months later, and they were still crying and complaining about the same old thing. What I didn't realize then that, I have, uh, that I've learned over the years is that there was something in the addiction for them. See, by enabling their spouse's addiction, they could continue to feel superior to their spouse. They could maintain their self-righteousness because, you see, it was the other person with the problem, not, not him, not her. And so later, I began to take a different approach. I'd say to them, let's talk about you. What are you getting out of this addiction? Why, why do you keep enabling it? Can you really say, I've kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? You know, think about all of that self-righteousness. That feeling of superiority that you have to your spouse. And you see, once that self-righteousness was exposed and that they understood that God hated their self-righteousness as much as he hated their spouse's addiction, their anger toward their spouse often subsided and a new compassion began to grow in them that replaced the derision that they formerly felt. You see, you can't stay angry at someone unless you feel superior to them. That's why I say, you have to remember your common humanity. You're a sinner too. You're a sinner too. And that's difficult, isn't it, to acknowledge that. Because when you've been wronged, oh my goodness, you want to get up on your high horse. And you want to look down at the person that hurt you. But you have to remember your common humanity. Okay. Fourth, last thing that you have to do to repair your marriage. After, okay, key word here is after. Everybody say that with me. After, say it again. After, okay. After you have committed to overcome evil with good. After you have surrendered your instinct for revenge. And after you have spent some time remembering and meditating on your common humanity, then and only then you attempt to reconcile by confronting them in love. You see why I said after? Do you understand why I said after? Because if you don't do all those other things, uh, this is, if you don't do all those things, this ain't going to go well. You got to do all of those other things. And I said attempt to reconcile because, look, reconciliation requires two people, doesn't it? You, know, you, can, you can try to reconcile, but if another person doesn't want to reconcile, it's not going to happen. Attempt to reconcile by confronting them in love. Look at Proverbs chapter 20, uh, 10, verse 25. I really, I love this verse. When the storm has swept by, the wicked are gone, 
but the righteous stand firm forever. Here's another one, Proverbs 20, verse 6. Many a man claims to have unfailing love, but a faithful man who can find. It's often struck me that at our wedding ceremonies, you know, I do a lot of weddings, right? And so I, you know, I remember my own. I do a lot of weddings. I see this happen a lot. Man, we're standing there, and we claim our undying, unconditional love for one another. And yet, we so easily abandon those promises when things get hard, don't we? Now, uh, okay, I know what some of you are thinking, so I want you to hear me on this. Some of you this morning that have been uh, like, like you've been in a marriage that was terrible and, and that you are divorced now. You didn't want the divorce, but the divorce happened. Okay, I want you to hear me on this. There are legitimate reasons to finalize legally what a spouse has already done by their actions. Like I've, I've personally counseled people to legally finalize their marriage because it was clear that their spouse didn't want a marriage. I had a woman one time... Uh, come in whose husband had put a gun to his wife's head. Listen, I want to tell you something. If your spouse is physically abusing you, get out now. They've already divorced you by their actions. Now, you, you may legalize it, you know, but they've already done the divorcing by the action. One time I had a, had a husband whose wife had multiple affairs. Like, you know, she's already divorced you, pal. You, you go file the paperwork, but she's already done the divorcing. I've had spouses who refuse to deal with their addictions and you know, all kinds of things. And, and it's like, you know, look, by their actions, they're saying, I don't really want to marry. So hear me. I'm not saying that those of you who have wanted to make a marriage work, but your spouse didn't, I'm not saying that you were wrong to uh, finalize that marriage in any way. So make sure you hear me on that. But in reality there are really very few things worthy of ending a marriage over. There are going to be storms in your marriage, as Proverbs 10.25 says. There are going to be very turbulent waters that you're going to have to navigate with your spouse. He is going to hurt you deeply. She is going to hurt you deeply by their words or by their actions. The question is, will you still be there? Will you care enough after you've done all of those things that we talked about a moment ago, will you care enough to confront her? Will you care enough to confront him in love to tell him what he said or did that hurt you, that you've already forgiven them for, in order to help him grow or in order to help her find her healing for uh, perhaps her addiction? Or, or will you just tear your spouse apart in your anger and your self-righteousness, and then tear each other apart in a court of law. Some of you uh, will remember this from last week, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Like when you married, you married for better or for worse. And perhaps you're in the worst part of your marriage right now. Look, marriages need constant repair. They just do because neither of you are perfect people. Will you be there after the storm? 
And I, I want to just give you a little encouragement. There's something about navigating through those very stormy, choppy, turbulent waters. There's something about navigating through those. That after you do, over the years, it forms a bond of intimacy that you couldn't have had without all of those choppy waters. So overcome evil with good. Surrender instinct for vengeance. Uh, Remember your common humanity and then attempt to reconcile by confronting in love. Okay, quickly, I want to end with this. I mentioned earlier there were two categories I wanted to filter these Proverbs through. Here's the second one. The first one, uh, you know, the first one was just like how to repair your marriage. Here's the second one, and this will be very quick because I know some of you are looking at your watch and you're thinking, I got to get home. Okay, here we go. The second one. I want to give you the ultimate example of relationship reconciliation. The ultimate example of relationship reconciliation. Earlier I mentioned to you that if I had to summarize God's purpose in human history in just a few words, I said that it would be that his plan and purpose is to overcome evil with good. His plan to overcome evil with good finds its ultimate expression at the cross of Jesus Christ. Earlier, we looked at Proverbs chapter 20, verse 9. Who can say, I've kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? There is one who can say that. He was fully God, and yet he shared with us in our humanity, though he never sinned. And yet, in order to reconcile our relationship with God, he entered into the storm of God's wrath for our sins. He took the penalty. He took the punishment. He took the pain that we deserve for our sins. He took them on us, just like we were talking about you should do in your marriage with your spouse. He didn't make us pay for it. He took them on himself. And I want to tell you something, that the only thing that will motivate you to do all the things that we've talked about this morning for your spouse is to behold the absolute beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the only thing that will motivate you to do these things. There on the cross, you see the ultimate example of God overcoming evil with good. There at the cross, all of your self-righteousness comes to a screeching halt. There at the cross, you realize that were it not for Christ's sacrifice, all of God's vengeance would have been poured out on you. There at the cross, you realize that Christ paid the price for every offense anyone has ever perpetrated against you, including your spouse, your spouse, and you recognize that his death was sufficient for them all. You don't need to make anyone. You don't need to make your spouse pay for them. There at the cross, you realize that Christ took the initiative to reconcile your relationship with him. And there at the cross, you realize that if Christ can do that for you, a sinner, you can follow his lead. And you can overcome evil with good in your own marriage with your spouse who's a sinner too, just like you. Would you bow with me for prayer? Our Lord Jesus Christ, at the cross, we see the ultimate example of reconciliation. There, you reconciled us to God. There on the cross, you took the penalty for our sins. You absorbed 
the cost of our sin. Lord Jesus Christ, we could spend all of eternity praising you for that, and we would never reach the end of what we could say, how much we could praise you for that. Lord Jesus Christ, thank you so much for your example of what you did on the cross. Lord Jesus Christ, for those here who maybe have never come to a place where they have believed in you, I pray that today would be a day that in the privacy of their seat, that they would recognize that, yes, indeed, they are a sinner too. And that the only way for those sins to be paid for is by believing in you, Lord Jesus Christ, and what you did on the cross and your resurrection three days later. Lord, for those who have believed, maybe they're going through some very difficult times in their marriage right now. Perhaps they'll be going through some difficult times in their marriage in the near future. Lord, would you bring to mind and would you deeply penetrate their souls with the words of your scriptures today? And would you use these choppy waters in their lives, this storm in their lives, to bring greater intimacy between the two of them as a result? And our Lord Jesus Christ, it's in your name that we worship and pray today. Amen.